These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway in a brand new day. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for December 7th, 2021. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you would like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. Click the red box that says sponsor this podcast. And you can set, set up a one-time or recurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts, it's your old pal, our Mike Spears. Join alongside, as always, my co-host, friend Case Lowe. In Case, it's probably, like, with the exception of the other week where this happens, this is the busiest Dragon Gate week of the year. We had four shows over the last week, but how are you holding up? I'm holding up okay. It's it's a very busy time from quite literally every aspect of my life, but not only is it one of the busiest weeks of the Gate calendar, over the past seven days, you know, we recorded last Tuesday mere hours before a Cork and Hall show that we thought was going to be pretty cut and dry, and as it turns out over the past week, we have had quite literally... I think one of the most newsworthy and shocking weeks in the history of this promotion with one of the single most shocking match results in a promotion that is known to bob and weave and to swerve and to go left when people are thinking they're going to go right. Simply put, one of the most shocking finishes in the history of the entire company that all unfolded within this past week. And then plus we had three other really good shows that we have a bunch of news and notes on. So, yeah, it, it was a good week to be a follower of Dragon Gate. 
yeah, this was the bang for your buck uh, week on the Dragon Gate Network between Corkin. We had the Soy Sato mat- debut match go up there as we expected. They had the director's cut uh, Takumi Hayakawa's one. And then you get into three nights in Sapporo, their semi-annual triple header that they do up there. So because there's four shows, we will talk about the results in this show. But there's just so many big topics that kind of flow in together this week that... It's just we got to lead off with the big shocker, uh, something that's probably the most shocking Apuestas match in Dragon Gate history or Dragon System history, and probably the most shocking result of a match since uh, Shingo Takagi losing the Open the Dream Gate in his second or his first defense in 2013. At Corkin on Wednesday was the uh, Mascara contra Mascara Apuestas match. Loser loses their mask. Diamante and Daya Inferno versus Shun Skywalker and Dragon Daya. And if somehow there was a, if my bookie did Dragon Gate bets there, someone could have, I, I won't say they'll be able to like buy a car off of the bet, but they would be able to, you know, bring back some nice money on this if you're someone who bet on Dragon Daya losing his mask after Shun Skywalker was distracted. It was something that they played up in the match, but Shun has not really brought up ever since. The finish was that Shun got his mask slid to the side, obstructing his visions. He shoved Dragon Daya into Diamante, who hit him with the Vuelta finale to get the win. Diamante, 2-0 in mask matches this year. Uh, Dragon Daya is unmasked. We did not get his name as his standard in a um, when someone is a loser of a mass match, but it's probably because SB Kento came out because neither Diamante or Daya Inferno were going to talk, basically shit talk, ripped off his mask, and then Daya Inferno grabbed the microphone, spoke for the first time, saying, I came here to destroy Dragon Daya. Now that he's destroyed, there's no need to be Daya Inferno anymore. Rips off the giant rubber mask. Looked very relieved. It was Yuki Yoshioka who stormed off by himself. And ever since then, uh, Masquerade is in complete upheaval case. Uh, uh, tending to Daya was Estrella, Jason Lee, and Kota Minenora. Shun Skywalker looked beside it, beside himself in the aftermath. Could not look Dragon Daya in the eye. And then since then, on the Sapporo triple shot, neither uh, Dragon Daya nor Yuki Yoshioka were on the shows. Estrella stayed home as well. So Masquerade was just Shun and the uh, two more senior members of the unit, drag uh, being Jason Lee and Kota Minenora. Shun Skywalker was trying to go like everything was fine, but the look on Jason Lee and Kota Minenora's face during the introductions, they weren't even doing the whole masked entrance anymore. And the misfires that happened Masquerade might be on a countdown clock coming out of this, and it's all due to Shun causing Dragon Daya to lose his mask. So, biggest news item of the week is uh, how should uh, overall a year written review is up. I completely was stunned by this result. The Dragon Legacy looks like it ends with uh, with Problem Dragon, weirdly enough. And now that the world is, it's a uh, what was probably the most safe uh, unit in Dragon Gate at the time now looks like it's the one that could be on the way out before the end of the calendar year. A stunning 
finish. I mean, this caught everybody by surprise from you and I who cover this promotion closer than anybody from people parachuting in from people that that really might only know the names of this promotion that don't even necessarily watch the promotion or, or if they do, they're only parachuting in for the biggest shows or the biggest matches of the year. This caught everybody by surprise. Did you at any point even consider the possibility that it was going to be Dragon Daya that lost his mask? No, not, in the lead up, not at all. I, 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 it would have been, oh, well, everyone else got, everyone, someone got injured or Daya got injured and they weren't able to, you know, work the finish. Like, that was the chance I would have given him losing his match because, and Jay made a big point of this, like, this guy was the heir to Dragon Kid, who is the heir to Ultimo Dragon. As we've said, since Daya debuted, this is the most important, this will be the most important mask in the promotion. Like, there's a reason why Dragon Kid, whenever he's in a mask match, the safe ma the safe bet is betting on Dragon Kid because he's not going to lose his mask. That was the assumption going into this. And I I guess, like, my big, like, other than, like, the shock, my, my big thing is they must now think that uh, Dragon Daya had a higher ceiling than being Dragon Daya, than being the heir to the legacy. Because you look at Dragon Kid, fantastic career. A career 99.999% of wrestlers would take. But he's never been the guy. And maybe that's why he lost his mask, is they think that Dragon Daya, we don't know his name. He's not listed on the Kyoto show this weekend, so he might make an appearance there and reveal his name, whatever gimmick going forward. But they might have higher aspirations for Daya, I guess, is, is like one of is like one of a facet coming out of this. Do you think I'm off base in saying that? No, no. And that's such a remarkable statement, given the fact that his entire character had 20 plus years of built in cachet with this audience. He was the biggest layup in terms of finding his footing on this roster. He debuted at the end of 2018 and had an incredibly hype debut. He was dealing with some medical stuff early on, dealing with some sicknesses. But once he got past that, once we hit into kind of the middle portion of 2019, this is someone who knew who he was, who was just progressing at such a rapid rate. I called him last year one of the single most exciting wrestlers in the world, not because he was producing, you know, match of the year contender after match of the year contender. It wasn't you know, like Dragon Daya every time he was going out there was like peak G1 season or that he was Kenny Omega or even the best wrestler on the Dragon Gate roster, you know, a KZ or a Susumu or an SP Kento or whoever. But there has always been a level of innovation with Dragon Daya. And part of, you know, what, what we learned from talking to Jay and talking to Larry Dallas is that this guy is seemingly only doing a fraction of what he's capable of. He's an athletic freak. And the other thing that Jay has mentioned on this very podcast before is that Dragon Daya underneath the mask is a very handsome man. And although he was covered in sweat and tears, only missing the blood aspect of blood, sweat, and tears after this mask versus mask match, you got to see, hey, you know what? Dragon Daya is a pretty good looking guy. I think it is a huge seal of approval for his future that he was unmasked and not a reflection of, of possible character failure or the gimmick not getting over to the degree that Drangate would have wanted for the reason that he was unmasked. I look at this only as a positive. Yeah, and it'll be interesting. It's all going to be the payoff to see like how he's positioned from here. Like This is a seismic change for someone who's still just crossed three years as a pro wrestler. 
was someone that like he was called Dragon Diet because he had because they thought like like a diamond he had endless potential and now we're going to see that at play and now we kind of shift gears in his career that like it was such a big deal the fact that they had a new generation dragon and that they had seemingly the rival for a while to put like the stamp of approval because it's textbook you know dragon kid had darkness dragon and it, it just felt like okay we're, we're seeing some so some neat like mirroring of that but they went into a direction now one can argue that you could say okay yuki yoshioka that's going to be a career long rival for the former dragon daya just because of the because of the feud you had daya versus daya but now you have the shun aspect put into this and w- with how things have happened with shun skywalker and now everything kind of falling to pieces around him dragon daya now has a rival in him and that's a big match i would say and it'll be interesting to see if that's gonna be something they're gonna tease out how they're gonna play this out because yuki oshioka looks like he's no longer a member of red as diet inferno looks like he's his own guy no one wants anything to do with shoot skywalker and now dragon daya is probably like the most righteously aggrieved person coming out of that match what what Drangi did here is so interesting, and I and I wrote this in my written review, and it, it speaks to why I know I love this promotion as much as I do, because although I I legitimately think it's the most talented roster on earth, I think they're most the they're the most consistent promotion on earth. It is times like this where Drangi will punch you in the stomach. And you will thank them for it. It is it is such a, a, a dom-sub relationship in the fact that this is not what I was anticipating at all. But I can't argue with this move. Like, I think that I'm so excited by the result of this match, way more so than I would have been by Dragon Dia just pinning Dia Inferno and us going on as we thought we would. This is, uh, and this is a dangerous term to use on a wrestling podcast, given the way that the word moment has been co-opted, but this is a moment, and it has been a very long time to a point that I'm not even really sure of the last time where a an angle in Dragon Gate, a story in Dragon Gate, was the main talk of this promotion on the Western side of the fan base for the past few years, we've had a lot of great matches. There's been a lot of cool things that have happened, but this angle really brought us back, or at least brought me back to 2015, 2016, when there were a ton of eyeballs on this promotion. And it seemed like people were really investing in the depths of, of the stories that were being told here. This was one of those moments where when we look back on 2021, it was a, a strange year. It seemed like they never totally found their groove. You have Masada Yoshino going away. You have all these rookies debuting, and I think those are two things that are going to stand out when the history of this promotion is written. But now we're going to have to talk about Daya unmasking. This is absolutely a moment, and when I think about this year going forward, this is going to be one of the things I think of, and it's so exciting because whereas you know Yoshino retiring was obviously, obviously such an incredible display, there was an end to that. What we have here between Daya and Yoshioka and Skywalker is the beginning of something. These are now guys that are going to be attached at the hip for years and years and years to come until their careers are likely no more. This was a powder keg of storytelling put into this match, 
and we're going to be dealing with aftershocks uh, for years and years and years. I mean, th- this is, I- I'm just so blown away. It's amazing. You know, Diamante was arguably the best wrestler in this match. He was kind Absolutely. of the guy carrying the bulk of the weight. And he the star was here. just, he was just a big star, <laughs> big star and completely unaffected by everything that happened. It is just, he was just the glue in this match. And now you have three just wild possibilities and changing directions coming out of this match. We've talked about Daya and how we think, you know, this is only going to lead to bigger things for him. I'm in agreement with you. I believe from the way Yoshioka left the ring and Jay was sure to point this out on English commentary and Jay, who was solo, no ho-ho loon this month. And I thought, I thought Jay was great uh, throughout this entire show, but especially these final two matches, the Brave Gate match and the mask versus mask match. That is exactly why Jay is so valuable to this promotion because nobody is more qualified to call matches like this than him. He was sure to mention that when Yoshioka left, he left with the Dragon Gate theme song playing, not the R.E.D. theme song playing. And that in this promotion is something that certainly matters. And then you have Shun Skywalker. And I think, you know, we should probably maybe pick through his weekend a little bit because I I just I, I did not see his next step as we enter 2022. I did not think Shun Skywalker, possible leader of the next heel unit, as something that could definitely happen. And we are now staring at the face of that possibility. And I'm, I'm floored by it because Shun has been in this company for five years and he's gone from uh, averting disaster being his main gimmick to a credible world champion. And now this confident unit leader. And this is such a drastic shift in tone from anything that we've seen from him over the first five years of his career and I'm thrilled by the possibility of it. Yeah, so he very much, it seems like, that the rest of Masquerade, as we saw through the Sapporo triple shot, it was only Jason Lee and Kota Minoru. They want nothing to do with him. There was constant misfires. Two of the three finishes of the weekend were basically him hitting one of his uh, Masquerade teammates, and then that immediately leading into the, the pinfall during the Masquerade entrance. He he gets a special award for me this week, Case. He is the dipshit of the week because he, he did not read the room. He did not realize maybe I should, should tone down everything. Maybe I shouldn't tweet like all these like remembrances of Masquerade. Maybe I shouldn't come out in the full entrance and gear. Instead, we should just tone it down for a little bit, make sure we're all on solid footing. No, he comes out in the uh, masquerade mask. He comes out in the full jacket. Whereas uh, as the week weekend went along, Kota uh, Minora and Jason Lee, they first like wore it and then immediately took it off. They weren't going to stand and look at the crowd with this guy to uh, wearing it, but not really like doing it's been tossing off immediately to basically just carrying it and dropping it in the ring before the entrance where Shun Skywalker just being a dipshit again, standing does all the turns and everyone else is just going like what is this guy doing so it, it, it's fascinating it, it's something that also you look at uh shun's five years previous hasn't had a single inkling of a heel turn and are you making me made that it, it's about time and really for the few deficiencies in his game him going heel and have him having a run as a heel could help flush them out in a way so it's all really compelling stuff from Shin Skywalker's standpoint to me. 
Oh, absolutely. I, I really enjoyed the escalation that we saw in Hokkaido that Mike kind of laid out there of Jason Lee and Kota Minora continuously becoming less and less interested in doing the full masquerade entrance to the point where on that Sunday show, December 5th, they just carried their entrance uh, where to the ring. It's just a really, really strong visual there. They, they God, that, that, to go back to the, the Cork and Hall main event, that mask versus mask match for just a second, the fallout of that match with Lee and Minora and Estrella and then Espy Kento joining the fray, everybody was so good in their roles to me that was just that was that was next level that is that is why this promotion is what it is and i unless you're new japan at your absolute peak or you're aew at your absolute peak that's why i don't think anybody touches them i you know not to pick on anybody but i don't see all japan doing stuff like this i don't think all japan has had an angle like this ever all japan has its own issues right now okay so let's be fair (laughs) no no mike they're a really healthy promotion things are going really well things are great Uh, over there (laughs) but this is uh, this is just marvelous stuff I, i i should note the first show of that hokkaido triple shot the december 3rd show shun got on the microphone and uh said that he he did what he had to do to save his own mask he apologized to masquerade but it is what it is and that he said they are still masquerade so let's do their best together didn't try to blame what jay alluded to on the english commentary during the main event of that cork and hall show where shun's mask was crooked and maybe he didn't exactly know he was shoving dragon daya into the arms of diamante when he did shun said hey look i i had to do what i had to do Let's move on, though, which is just such an interesting wrinkle in all of this. I mean, he is yeah. really aligning himself as being a guy c- clearly and consistently in the wrong as we now hit the one-year point of masquerade, and I'm sure the slow dissension that will will come out of this. So uh, for my money, all four of these guys, Diamante included because he was so good in that match, all four of these guys come out of the weekend with higher profiles, with raised stock. I can't wait to see what they do next. Really, really, really solid stuff from everybody involved. Yeah, and it's something that if this ends up being a turn, it's going to be very fascinating. It probably the closest analog I can think of is Shingo Takagi's initial turn on BB Hulk is kind of like the thing there that one can go one-to-one, okay, that's kind of what's going on here. But it's also something that, like, now a lot of the open questions now have a process to be answered, I guess, is the is the thing I'll say. We, we see a lot more unaffiliated wrestlers right now. We see a face unit that was, like, the primary focus of the year looking like it's going away. And now we have a heel unit that has crossed its third-year anniversary one that is incredibly long in the tooth now we're starting to see things between this and between and they haven't touched on it in the last few weeks uh ata with the rest of his unit and the idea that they're not super happy with all that as well a lot of directions that can go to a lot of open questions that i think that unlike last year where we had some pretty solid answers of like okay red is the top unit they are the survivors of the three-way war we have natural vibes coming back we have shun back now as champion bringing a new unit into 2021 we're going to end this year 
not on a note of finality, I feel like. I feel like that this will be a year that when we have that final show in Kobe Sambo Halt in this month, we might have some directions, but things aren't going to be, there's not going to be a period at the end of 2021. We're going to get an ellipses at the very best. Well, it's, it's great because it's what I've been asking for all year where despite the fact that they've had a lot of good shows in Kobe and Osaka and Kyoto and Fukuoka, it's like every good show was just good in a vacuum and then we're kind of done with it. And this promotion all year has really struggled to build to the next thing, whereas last year perhaps it was just the brisk schedule from july through december when they started running shows with fans again but it seemed like there was always something to look forward to on the next show in 2020 and in 2021 it's been a lot of hey man that red versus masquerade match was great and ultimately it didn't impact the ramifications of this promotion at all it was just a really good match and i've noticed it just from the people we communicate with again chomping at the bit to get these Hokkaido cards announced to see what's going on there. These, the, there's the Kyoto show that we'll preview coming up this Saturday. People very excited just at the announcement of those cards. I'm sure when we get the Cork and Hall card next week, it's going to be another thing that generates some sort of buzz, assuming that Kyoto isn't some unmitigated disaster. So this is exactly what I've been hoping for uh, in the promotion all year, is just something to keep me holding on until the next show there are so many unanswered questions we're only whatever the story is it it seems like right now we're only at the first chapter which is a, a really nice feeling to have knowing that so much more is going to unfold over the next month let alone what comes you know three months down the line six months down the line next december who knows what this promotion is going to look like yeah and it's something that with the fact that they have a cork and now not this week but we'll probably be talking about it uh not, maybe not on this next week's show but we will be reviewing in the next few weeks in the lead up to final gate it's just a huge huge thing that with the with the month step as it was with how things are looking going to 2021 or 2022 and the fact that how john gate sets up 2022 case if you think about it like having these open questions gives you some spice on these usually very, very quiet and dry January shows. So it, 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 it it's the right thing to do. It's something that I couldn't conceive of last week when we were talking. But it, it, And, of course, we have to see how it all plays out. But at least, like, seven days out, it looks like it's an unmitigated success. And now we look ahead to, like, Kyoto, and you look at the card, and it's like, oh, we don't have anything with Dragon Daya on that card. We don't have anything if Yuki Yoshioka on the card. All of Masquerade's there, but it's not a four-on-four Masquerade match. They have them kind of split up a little bit. It's all its all really fascinating stuff. And that was the big news coming out of Cork. And we did have one other big match of note that we should touch on before we move on talking about other big topics of the week. SB Kento made his second defense of the Open the Brave Gave title against his generational peer, Jackie Funky Kamei. Uh, he won with the SB Shooter, not exactly a playback of their match last month in Kobe Sambo Hall, but kind of brought it to Cork and Hall. I think it probably was the better match of the show, I would say, but I mean, it's just showing yet again, like this was the SB Kento uh, episode of Dragon Gate, if you want to look at each show as an episode. 
He was out there at the start of the show. He tried to interject in the main event. Uh, General, uh, General Manager Rio Saito, who's doing a great job, sent out all the rookies to take out REDs because they weren't supposed to be there. And then he took control at the end of the, of the show with the unmasking of Daya. But he came out here, had another incredibly strong uh, Brave Gate title defense as we as he like moves on. And yet again, now he is oh, now he's 2-0 against Jackie Kamei in title matches. I don't know if I have it in me to go on yet another SB Kento is a superstar rant. I, it's just, that's that's exactly it. He opened the show, he had the best match on the show, and then he closed the show. It's unconscious. It just doesn't make any sense, but I have nothing else to add. I mean, it's just, it's consistently jaw-droppingly great at this point. I will ask you, because I asked a lot of people this, I threw the question up in the Voices of Wrestling Discord, I don't believe I saw your answer if you did answer it. Which of these matches did you prefer? The first SB Kento versus Funky Jackie Kame match in Kobe, or this one in Corican Hall? Well, I saved it so we could talk about it on air, Case. Uh, uh, and this is what I like about you as a podcast partner, Mike. You are always thinking one step ahead. You, you know, I could type it all out, or we could talk about it. I'd rather have a conversation here. <laughs> I. I think for me personally, there was something about the Kobe Samba Hall one that felt a little bit more raw, a little bit more brutal, and it was pretty much like the real like step forward. This to me, like it was good in, on its own merits, but that this that this match is not going to be what this show is going to be remembered about. <laughs> and whereas at Kobe Samba Hall show, that was the big step forward for both of those guys. And just like the brutality, I would say in Kobe Sumbo Hall felt a little bit more, uh, I said raw before, a little bit more vicious, a little bit more primal in a way. Like, like both of those guys' chests looked like raw hamburger afterwards. This one had its moments, like the SBL on the apron and a tremendous performance like selling from JFK. But I think I'm going with Kobe Sumbo Hall here. As am I, I went four and a half on that one, four and a quarter on this one. You hit it exactly on the head. This was the second run through. You know, that first match was for, I'm just going to repeat you. It was raw. This was a little bit cleaner. And I think that just comes down to a stylistic preference. I, I will say it it lights such a fire inside of me. Everything from Kamei's uh, Torbellino into the Crucifix pin onwards, that's basically the last two minutes of the match. You get to see just how good these guys are. And one of the consistent things we've said about SB Kento in particular is we think this guy is, you know, going to be a future world champion, future Grand Slam champion. This is my guy. I think he's going to lead the company into the future. It's amazing that we're saying that given that, at least to me, the weakest aspect of his game has been his actual wrestling, his in-ring performance. He's so good at everything else that I feel like it almost compromises his ability as a wrestler at times because he's been doing such character-heavy stuff. And what I've loved about these two Kamei matches is that he's been uh, approaching these matches in such a different way. He He's much more subdued, but he still has that just undeniable charisma that shines through. And this was one of those matches. This was not SB Kento versus Dragon Kid where there's plunder and antics and, you know, rifeless shenanigans. 
this was pretty straightforward, and it was a pretty straightforward example of how talented SB Kento is as a wrestler, and obviously how good Kamei is. He has that figured out. He has a formula that will last him for the next 15 years, next 20 years. I mean, it's it's very simple to figure out with Kamei what he's going to be doing going forward. This was yet another reminder of like, oh my god, SB Kento is just, he's something. He, he is really, really something. Uh, I, I thought the last two minutes of this match were, uh, uh, to use a term I used earlier, they were next level, and I, I really feel that way. And it's yet another classic on the board for SB Kento. Two years into his career, both of these guys, two years into their career, that is hard to believe. Yeah, and to touch a little bit on on J- Jackie Funky Kamei, it's very clear, as you said, what he, oh, what they're aspiring him from to be it is now like patently obvious that he's in natural vibes for a reason and that is in a way to understudy Ginky Hiroguchi and KZ and be this very compelling underdog you you see Ginky there was the one helping him to the back he was the one really cheering on his charge and you know he's going to be able with like the Jackie knife and with like the crucifix out of the Torbellino he's going to be able to draw those like incredibly deep two counts and he's going when he when he gets someone with the jackie knife or gets someone at the crucifix he's going to have a tremendous reaction there and it just it's something that's nice to see that as we are moving into 2022 they're no longer really the fresh blood here as we now have the entirety of the future class now out there and it's great to kind of see that both of these guys like they, they, they are tied together at the hip, and we know what they can do, and it's going to be fascinating two years, five years, ten years from now to see how this develops in a way. And, you know, Ken, SB Kento, as you've been saying, he keeps on checking boxes off the che- off the, of the checklist of when is it ready for SB Kento, and it's becoming more and more clear. It's like, oh, yeah, that, all those efficiencies we thought he had, that in-ring deficiency – He's clearing those things up really, really fast, and it's it's really kind of remarkable to see. Uh, I'm going to run down the rest of the Corkin results real quick if you had any other thoughts on the show. I, I've got thoughts on one match briefly, but feel free to run down, to run down those results. All right, so this show, maybe you'll have a chance to listen to the show and then go back to Corkin. It was on the 1st. It'll be removed from the network on the 8th. Near sellout for Corkin Hall after a couple of month, tough months there, so... Things are kind of getting back their sea legs in a way. Natural Vibes versus R.E.D. opener. It was everyone else in Natural Vibes. KZ, Susumu, Ginki, Shimizu, UT, Eita, Hulk, Ishida, Kai, and Hyo. Shimizu over Hyo with the King Press. After the show, he renamed himself again as Big Boss Shimizu because the manager of the Hokkaido Nippon Ham Fighters is calls himself the big boss and that was kind of the gimmick he had going into the kaido weekend kind of somewhat a thuggish yakuza like kind of character was like this they kind of play him off as like that and that was the big thing for shimizu coming out of that masquerade versus unaffiliated veterans match two minora lee estrella mochizuki fuji kondo minora over fuji with the ingranaje match three it was two of the dragons, Ultimo and Problem Dragon versus Dragon Kid and Strong Machine J. Strong Machine J, who knows about this guy? But he gets a win with the Machine Suplex on Problem Dragon, who is the next Open the Brave Gate title challenger in his hometown of Gifu coming up next week. 
uh, eight-man tag. Can, can we talk Mo- about that real quick? Can we talk yeah. about SB Kento versus Problem Dragon? Because I feel like we have two distinctly different opinions on that match. Well, they need to have something to because it's the same homecoming as Shun Skywalker's and JJ tweet this. It's like, yeah, no, let Kamada have a title shot. I just have no interest in seeing Problem Dragon anymore, especially after this last weekend. So I just, he's fine. He's not obnoxious in the ring. He's not very good, in my opinion, but it makes sense. You're goosing a homecoming show. I look, this was a very bad weekend for the problem dragon. He was in a lot of matches that I wish he wasn't in. And it certainly hurt my enjoyment of some of these shows, but I I would go as far to say I am excited for SB Kento versus problem dragon for the brave gate belt. I'm assuming that will be uploaded to the network at some point because I don't remember the last time there was a title match that didn't get uploaded at least in the future. I have no reason to believe, you know, the last time Problem Dragon was in a a Brave Gate match was five years ago, Dead or Alive 2016. It was him versus Maria during that really fun Yosuke Santa Maria Brave Gate reign. That was a really enjoyable match. And I think the same dynamics, although SB Kento and Yosuke Santa Maria ultimately have very little in common, they are both people that have proved they can work really character heavy, really emotional matches. And I think... Problem Dragon versus SP Kento and Problem Dragon's hometown for the Brave Gate belt is going to be a pretty damn good match. So obviously we'll have to reconvene if that match is uploaded because there is a chance that I am very wrong and there is a chance that we sit down and we watch the worst SP Kento match of the year. But I, I'm excited for it. Why not put it on that show? At least we're having it here and not at Final Gate and not, you know, at a Cork and Hall show or even a Kobe show. Put it here. It's harmless, and I think it could be a net positive in the end. And it's something using SP Kento's Bravegate run again as a 1A belt you can defend on these smaller shows. So it, it makes sense. I just am someone that, like, I was I was on Monday Ryu years ago. <laughs> so, like, the more I see him, the more I'm just like... <laughs> and, and, and he is a compelling figure. Uh, he had that really bad neck injury, and he came back saying, like, hey... I'm now an uncle. I want to make sure my uncle, my nephew now has a reason to be proud of his family name. So it's going to be like an emotional thing for the Kamada family and Gifu. I just, you know, like it, 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 it's a good test for SB Kento. I'll say that too. But it's just one of those things that like, yeah, I'll watch it and review it. And maybe it's like this really cool emotional moment that only Dragon Gate can do. It's going to have to do, uh, SB Kento has got to do some heavy lifting there for me to, personally be super jazzed about it i think that's okay that's fair that's fair uh then the only other match we didn't talk about eight man tag new era doi yoshi the open twin gate champions naruki doi and takashi yoshida teaming with the ahashi brothers versus high end the ahashi brothers get their first official win in dragon gate not in the direct fall there but they're on the winning side for once as they defeat high end yamato kakatora and bensuke yoshida over okuda with a pineapple bummer, bomber, bummer, bomber. No, it yeah. was a pineapple bummer. You labeled that correctly. Uh, Okuda, not really like, uh, d- d- I'm not going to say political hit here, given his rise in performances as of late, but uh, kind of an inauspicious way for the guy to make his return to active competition. So I, I wasn't necessarily planning on talking about Okuda, but you, you brought it up. And you said Pineapple Bummer, which was very funny. And now I'm thinking about Akuda. 
I, I know nothing. I don't think you know anything. This is a reckless, blatant question to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyways. December of 2022, is Kaisuke Akuda still in Dragon Gate? Oh. That is an interesting, reckless question. Uh, what can I say without us getting in trouble? Well, uh, I, no, well, it's it's public knowledge, at least on the Japanese Wikipedia, and I don't know if we've ever said it on this show, but okay. Kaisuke Akuda okay, is Ultimo, Ultimo Dragon's nephew is Kaisuke Akuda. I don't know if we've ever said that, because for a while it was kind of hush-hush, but that is on Akuda's Japanese Wikipedia page, so I'm going to go ahead and say it here. Mm-hmm. So he he has he's friends with Ben K and he's related to Ultimo. This man, as far as I know, has a job if he wants it. But we'll do year end of uh, awards in a few weeks, and I don't know if anybody's stock dropped as much from 2020 to 2021 as much as Akuda's did. And over the past few months, not only has he not been lighting the world on fire with his matches, but there has been an overall feeling of disinterest, at least from what I can pick up. Yeah. And the fact that he, it's good for PR, his kickboxing background. Like they had all the K one guys at that bigger arena Kobe show earlier this year. That stuff's good. Well, well, like that's a smart thing and that's engaging, but if he's really wanting to do K one and Ryzen. And he's getting his ass kicked so much. Like, at a certain point, it's like, how much of a good PR move is this? And and you're right. Like, his star has fallen. Like, basically, ever since he lost the Brave Gate, he's just kind of existed. And I, I think we should come to terms with, like, that Bensuke run that we were all kind of chomping at the bit for. It's probably not going to happen. So, going back to your overall question, is he still in the company at, at the end of next year? I think so. But I think what we're seeing now and his positioning and what he's given and his interest is not going to change. And that's kind of a bummer. I'm also, I'm worried about the fact that he's Owen two in MMA fights because he is positioned in dragging as the MMA guy. And boy, does that gimmick seem less cool now that he's lost two fights in the first round over the last two months in the first 90 seconds of each fights. And they're like bad losses it's not like he like goes out swinging it's like he gets caught and someone immediately just like takes him out so it's not like he's like being feisty about it he just looks like shit in these matches he looks like a really bad fighter quite honestly it's it's been the worst case scenarios of losses because he's looked like a goober in both of those fights so akuda stock is really low it's a little concerning. I want to throw mm-hmm. that question out there just to see if you were picking up the same vibes that I was, and it seems like you were. The oh, other thing sure. that I'll throw at you, uh, my my last thought from this Cork and Hall show, and then we can get through this Hokkaido weekend, but Mochizuki, Fuji, and Kondo versus the Masquerade Trio of Minora, Lee, and Estrella. Man, I need that as a Triangle Gate match at some point. I, I, I will be disappointed if we don't get a legitimate push for Mochizuki, Fuji, and Kondo in a Triangle Gate context within some point, as long as Kondo can still wrestle, because we know Mochizuki and Fuji are eternal. Those guys are going to go for as long as they possibly can. I think there is really something there with that trio, and I would hate to see it go to waste just having good matches on the undercard. To me, that is a team that is worth more in this promotion. 
Right, yeah. And, I mean, they, they had the obvious chemistry with the Masquerade trio there. Like, Kondo and Estrella. Like, Estrella has gone from being pretty shaky in May to now. If you give him a bigger guy, he knows exactly what to do it, and it just looks great. So, th- this was my favorite match outside of, like, the headline matches on the show. And one would hope so. I mean, we'll, we'll see... Uh, <sighs> It's such like Mochizuki is such a fascinating person right now in wrestling because he does feel like he's like you he is like splitting time and the company does not necessarily like want him to have like the focus on him when he's also doing stuff in Noah also picking up losses in Noah also having to deal with Kenji Muto. So. It's such bullshit he lost to Muto. I I'm, I knew he was going to, but I'm still so upset about it. Because <laughs> there, there's nothing I wanted more than for him to win with an inside cradle or some bullshit, just so I can say that Masaki Mochizuki beat Muto in a singles match. And I'm so bummed out that didn't happen. I mean, he might beat Muto at the end of the month, though. Probably not. But, you know, the, I, I, I just like, you sent me that clip of that match earlier today, and I was just like, oh, Mochizuki, man, uh, good on you for showing some discretion there. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a clip on the Noah Twitter. They're uploading videos of the Cork and Hall show that took place on December 7th. And there's a clip where Mochizuki kicks Muto into the corner and then Muto seated in that position. And Mochizuki, who we all know if you're listening to this podcast or if you've made it at least this far into this particular episode, you know that Masaki Mochizuki has the hardest kicks in professional wrestling and he is laying in the lightest stomps possible on Muto. It is unbelievable just how light Mochizuki is working, given literally every other match he's had in his entire <laughs> career. It is such a, an amazing distinction. And, and again, you know, more power to him for not killing the guy. But, oh, I'm, I'm so upset that he lost that match. I see. There was more daylight there than a lot of matches on AEW Dark Elevation. That's what I'll say. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from Arena Club. Com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying hey look at some random cards whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded 
by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. What, what a what a fascinating slight. That is such a, a unique way to insult something, but I knew exactly what you meant. So well done, Mike. I, I, I mean, there's not some careful editing there. You could uh, sidestep through some of those kicks, but hey, you, you do what you do with Kenji Muto. Uh, so m- moving on, uh, we had the triple shot in Hokkaido. It was uh, three nights, third through the fifth. Each of the shows, really, if you fast forward through like the everything like this, each show was about an hour forty-five. Each of them had five matches plus some bonus matches there. Interesting roster that they brought there. No SBK, no JFK, no Estrella. A lot of the vets stayed at home, but boy, and, and the thing that I really want to like talk about, other than we we could talk about like the title matches and like the homecoming stuff, and of course the Dreamgate run. This felt like a big week for Dragon Gate Future, given this and also Shoya Sato's uh, debut match going up on the network. Is that just me, though? No, they were easily the highlight of this weekend. We had a lot of Takumi Hayakawa action. We saw Fuda and Sato, and uh, who was the uh, who was the fourth kid? I can't think of his name. I'm not Fujiwara. looking at it right now. Takuma Fujiwara. Fujiwara, thank you. A, a big Fujiwara weekend, actually. So four guys here who raised their profiles i I was a big fan of everything they were involved in and i think that's we'll 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 touch on a a number of different things as we go throughout this weekend but i want to focus on these rookies for now who really stood out to you well i mean for me just because he didn't i didn't get a chance really to see a lot of his future stuff because he kind of was brought in late future was shoya sato he is a unique person. We really haven't had a chance other than talking about his background last week. We haven't got a, a huge chance to kind of see him entering, but he was the person that whenever I saw him between this and the debut match in Benkei in his hometown, I think there's a lot of stuff there, Sato. Like, I like Fujiwara. Fujiwara is probably my favorite person in his class, but you just could, it's just me, but I like feel like there's something different about Sato and Maybe it is that he is older and he feels more complete because of that. But I came away this week really impressed with Shoya Sato. Well, there, there was a fascinating dynamic in his first match of the weekend. There's a, there's a handful of matches that I think are worth going out of your way to watch from Hokkaido. I will say up top, I did not go spreadsheet four stars or higher on any match throughout this weekend. I have a number of three and three quarter star matches, but All of these shows, because they're five matches, are right around two hours, maybe a little bit shorter with the intermission. And if you skip the problem dragon matches, 
all of a sudden these shows are a breeze to get through. One of the matches that I do think you should go out of your way to see was on the first show. It was UT and Shoya Sato versus Kagatora and Ryu Fuda. The fascinating dynamic here of UT, who has been a pro in Dragon Gate now for eight years. He is 28 years old. And he is teaming with the rookie Shoya Sato, who is 29 years old. And I thought that was just a really interesting dynamic. And then these guys went forward and had one of the best matches of the entire weekend, in my opinion. Yeah, th- this was really, really kind of a cool thing. Like, uh, you had Kakatoro with Fuda, and Kakatoro kind of was playing like a coach there. But y- y- you saw, like, Shoya Sato, and you see that he really has, like, found a way early on to implement being that judo player into his moveset that we don't necessarily like see like Fuda, we get the sense that he's like this, he, he is like this young striker. That's going to be a problem. Fujiwara is the blank canvas that we're sorry. That'll be fun to see develop. Hayakawa is going to be the spark plug. And then you have the Ahashi brothers who are their own thing. But when you get to see like Shoya Sato with UT and in a way UT kind of being the ring general of that just makes it really kind of cool. It probably was, actually, I'm looking at this right now. Other than the main event, I thought that was the match of the night that they had there. And I, you, you like look at this class, and it's going to be so fascinating because they portray this class almost like a unit in a way. Uh, at Corkin, when RED tried to get involved in the Apoesis match, it was all the kids basically grabbing them, including Soya Sato, basically potato sacking Hyo clearing the ring other times in this weekend whenever uh someone's like i want more of a challenge you had rio saito just calling up a kid calling up a future kid and then that becoming a thing and it's just so cool to kind of see like this cohesive rookie group in a way now and it, it it's it's something that i th- that i find really fascinating like they're they're keeping this group more cohesive than we've seen past rookie classes really since like 2016 i would say was the last one that felt a little bit cohesion beforehand Yes, very much so. So I, I just really enjoyed that. Uh, other stuff on the show, I, I guess I'll run through. Well, real, real quick, let me let me, let me me run through uh, my thoughts on this tag match real quick. Oh, go ahead, sorry. As I, as I try to think into the recesses of my brain and what I was thinking in 2015, and what a, what, a, what a dark place to think about my brain in 2015, but as I go back and I think about what I might have voted on in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter awards that year, I believe I voted L. Lindemann at his judo throw as the best professional wrestling maneuver of the year. It certainly seems like something I would do, so I'm not going to go back and check to confirm because it's terribly on brand of me to do that. Lindemann, still to this day, despite whatever he's doing, has an incredible judo throw. But as we talked about last week, Sato is a much higher level of judoka than Lindemann was or is or ever will be. And oh my God, the Shoya Sato judo throw it's so violent and so fast and so intense. And it really, really is going to light a fire in me every single time I see it. I am not saying come 2022, that's my move of the year, but it is damn sure a candidate as of right now. And the other thing I'll mention here, uh, we talked about Fuda a lot last week, his instant chemistry with Masaki Mochizuki. We kind of saw early stages or the earliest possible stage given that what that it was his debut match of 
where he might assimilate on the roster. You know, Hayakawa, we're still piecing together. Fujiwara, I have a much better idea after this weekend of who he might be, but we're still learning a lot about him. The Ahashi brothers still seem like a blank canvas. I have no idea what they're going to look like as singles competitors. I have have no idea what they're going to look like when they start winning matches. Fuda was someone who I could see his near future pretty quickly. I understand who he is and what he's going to be on this roster, given just from the way he interacted with Mochizuki. And the thing that I liked here was not only did he have instant chemistry with Mochizuki during his debut, but instant chemistry with UT. And it felt like the finishing stretch of this match when everything cleared out and it was just those two. That felt really hot and really exciting to me. That seemed like the start of something that I could really get on board with. Chemistry on this roster that is locked in in the same way that Ashida versus Akuda is or SB Kento versus Kame is. We could have seen the start of UT versus Fuda really becoming a thing. Yeah, and, and it's nice to see like this like integration with these guys that basically have just been having five minute exhibitions for the last 12 months. So it, it's cool to see that, especially for someone like Fuda, who I did not realize that Fuda is the second youngest member of this class because he looks older than he is. Like, like no, he's he 20. looks like an old man. It's, it's <laughs> shocking. He's what? How old? He's 20. My God, yeah, I'm looking at his profile right now. So the rookies, if you're on the Drangate website, gaiora.co.jp backslash Drangate, uh, the rookies have profiles up there now. Dia Inferno and Dragon Dia are still the same. We will likely get updated versions of those guys after the Cork and Hall show in a few weeks, but the rookies have profiles up there now. And Riafuda, September, uh, September 25th, 2001. That is hard to believe. It, it's also something that like you like look at them and he has like such like an old man look like the thing is he kind of reminds me of a way of a very young Toro Washi and like his appearance <laughs> that's actually that's such a good comp <laughs> it just I, I can't I can't shake that like he's heavily he's heavily oiled up he's wearing short tights his hair isn't long but and, and he's a thicker guy and it just yeah, no, he's like, a washi if a washi was ever on a treadmill like that's exactly what that's, it is <laughs> that's cold but fair that's cold but oh <laughs> washi's been heavy since his debut this man is not exactly a cardio fiend he's not davy richard doing an hour on the treadmill every day nah that, that that's entirely fair there uh I really love this class I, it's gonna be really a whole lot of fun to see them develop and it looks like that each of them has their own aspect of their game there, or we could see them kind of develop that in a way that is really kind of cool. Uh, other stuff on the first night, it was on the third, it'll be up on the network till the 10th. The first part of the masquerade dissension that we were talking about started in match one. It was Shun, Minora, Lee versus Kai, Diamante, and Hio. Kai got the one with the medial impact over Minora. Bigger stuff we'll talk about as we go along. Strong Machine J defeated Takumi Hayakawa with a Liger Bomb that almost sent the poor guy through the ring. The aforementioned uh, Kakator and Fuda versus UT and Sato. UT with the pureness on Fuda. Uh, we had our Problem Dragon match. This time it was Ultimo, Doi, and Problem Dragon versus Hulk, Ada, and Ishida. Hulk put down uh, Dragon with the first flash. And the main event for night one was High End versus Natural Vibes. It was Yamato, Dragon Kid, Bing K, and 
Keisuke Akuda versus KZ, Susumi Akoska, Big Boss Shimizu, and Ginki Horiguchi Yamato with the Galarea there. Was there anything else on the first night that kind of spoke to you? Yeah, there, there was one match here that I, I really liked that I feel is worth mentioning. I, I did think the main event was borderline great, a near four-star match. I went three and three quarters on that, but it was, you know, your your standard affair for what you would expect with those guys in the ring. I do think, however, the second match on this show, which was Strong Machine J versus Hayakawa, was interesting in the sense that you just talked about how it seems like this class is a cohesive unit. Whether or not they're labeled as that is irrelevant. It seems like right now there is a bond between all of those Dragon Gate future guys, and it comes across almost in their work, whether it's a singles or a tag, because I, I think we're just so excited at the prospect of what all of these wrestlers can be. No one has been disappointing yet. If anything, you know, a guy like Hayakawa or a guy like Fujiwara, maybe I, I, I wasn't in love with them at first, but after this weekend, I'm much, much higher on them. There's an interesting foil here where Strong Machine J is now doing his best work opposing this class. He's doing his best work since he's come back from injury this year playing the bully and being quite literally the bigger man in some instances there was one moment in the the Hayakawa Strong Machine J match where they they got a little tangled up on Hayakawa going for a crucifix pin and J wasn't necessarily in the right spot and it was noticeable that they just it, it, it didn't work and it was a rare botch on a on a weekend of shows that was pretty clean but other than that I thought both guys looked really good here and I like Jay being this foil to whatever these rookies are yeah and i think hayakawa has kind of figured out that being the smallest guy in any match he's going to be in just like doing stuff like that uh that headlock takeover pen that he does where he gets jumps up high in the air to kind of get leverage is pretty neat there and yeah no it's something where like my match of the weekend when we talk about uh december 5th it has a lot of strong machine jay just being a bully and i think that for someone that things are kind of a little aimless for him right now, him being anti-rookie is, it's not a lot, but it's some direction that this guy desperately needs since kind of just existing and revisiting his, the Strong Machine Army since returning. Yeah, very true. All right, let's move on to Saturday. That was 12-4. We'll be up on the network until the 11th. Uh, Naruki Doi and Benkei versus Kai and Hio. Kai got another win over a former Dreamgate challenger, Benkei, with the Medio Impact. Ultimo, Strong Machine J, and Problem Dragon versus Gigi Horiguchi and the Ahashi Brothers. Ultimo loves pinning Horiguchi with the La Maestral Cradle. So the Ahashi Brothers, by, by, by sake of like just being in matches, have avoided pinfalls or getting pins, but they've ended up winning. We had a special singles match, Big Boss, Shimizu versus Takumi Hayakawa. He destroyed the poor kids in 42 seconds. He immediately asked, for more competition and this brought out general manager Rio Saito uh bringing out the kids and this time it was Takuma Fujiwara seven minutes and 49 seconds with another big press press semi-main event masquerade versus KZ Susumu and UT KZ one on Jason Mal Jason Lee with the impact after a misfire Shun Skywalker clocking Jay uh Kodama and Nora getting him out of the ring leaving Jason Lee prone there then the main event of night two was an eight-man tag. It was high-end Yamato, Dragon Kid, Keisuke, Kuna, Kakatora versus Hulk, Ada, Kaito Shia, and Diamante. 
and it was Hulk winning with the first flash on Kagatora there. Uh, I I think that this show was it was not the uh I think I liked this show in total more than night one, but in a lot of ways it was just kind of cementing what the overall thought was this weekend with Kai getting all the wins over former Dreamgate holders, the rookies kind of being at the beck and call of general manager Saito, and then, you know, really uh, a bunch of rookie stuff, to be quite honest here, and then Masquerade Dissension, in my opinion. I really like this show. This is one of those where I, I would actually probably just recommend watching it the entire way through, because even the problem dragon matches, the six-man with Horiguchi and the Ahashis against Ultimo, Strong Machine J, and the aforementioned Problem Dragon. And that is a fun match because anytime Ultimo and Genki get in the ring, at the very least, it's going to be comedically entertaining. But they had a very real final 60 seconds to this match where they both worked really hard and really fast, which in 2021, speed is not necessarily something I associate with Ultimo Dragon, with all due respect, sir. He's not he's not the fleetest of foot anymore, but he and Horiguchi really went at it in that finishing stretch, and I thought that was a a, a cool little thing there. But Shimizu and Hayakawa, forty two seconds. I, I I love the way they're using Hayakawa as this human projectile, basically. I mean, he is really rough around the edges in terms of what you might call the, his overall skill set, but very clearly effective in the role that he's in right now. And then you had this seven-minute Shimizu versus Fujiwara match, and this really opened my eyes to what Fujiwara can be. I, I I feel like maybe I undersold him last week just because his debut was sterile. It was there, and it was effective, but it didn't really leave a mark on me. In this match, him kicking off with a, just a stunning, a beautiful springboard dropkick onto Shimizu into selling, 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 brief comeback, and it doesn't work out. In the end, he eats the Big Boss Slam uh, for the Big Boss Press, rather, for the loss. I really liked that match. It really opened my eyes up to what Fujiwara could be. Obviously, that six-man tag, KZ, Susumu, UT versus Shun, Minora, Jason Lee, you put those six guys in a ring, I'm going to like it. And my hottest take of this episode is that the main event, Hulk, Ata, Ashida, and Diamante versus High End uh, minus Ben K, was probably my match of the weekend. Okay, I I could see yeah. that it was, I I could see that case. I it was something that I had to rewatch this match twice. This was really for me. They played the hits, but they played the hits in the right way, in a way. And like, just let things kind of flow there with it. I mean, you, you made sure to get your Akita, your Ashida Okuda bit there. You had Diamante there, really, for Dragon Kid. You're able to call back to Yamato and Hulk. Ata being solid there. You had Hio coming in there and insisting on being like the king of camera work in Hokkaido as well. I, I, I understand that. Uh, I think the match on the night that I ended up liking the most, considering that, that I spent most of the episode slagging him, was that. Uh, trio's match with strong machine j and the ahashis because i think that these three really i think strong machine j works so well with those guys i i, I like what i see when whenever strong machine j is with the ahashi brothers you get some second generation war there and i really enjoy that this was a very good weekend for strong machine j just in the sense that i was able to take a deep breath after that last show and go okay 
no issues. As far as I know, he wasn't hurt this weekend. He was in some pretty fun matches. He was good in his role. It's baby steps with Strong Machine J, but you know what? I like the work he did there. So I, I echo your thoughts there. And that main event, I, I can't disagree with any of that. They played the hits in a way where I thought they really ramped up the intensity. And that was what I liked about that match was it seemed like, although nothing was truly at stake, it was just a BB Hulk homecoming main event, essentially, because you had Yamato in there with, you know, guys already beat for the title and Hulk. Shida Diamante not really in the Dreamgate scene right now. Uh, there was no Triangle Gate implications. It's not like Kai was in this match. In the grand scheme of things, it was a pretty meaningless match, but I thought they worked it with such intensity that I was really, really into it. So I, I went into this going, oh, that might be the, the least appealing match on paper of the entire weekend because we know my thoughts on high end at this point, and it's an RED side without something specific to fight for. But I ended up going three and three quarters on this as well. I, I thought this was an incredibly strong match. Yeah, no, and it's something that, like, it's very hard for me to be, like, down on any of these shows because how, like, they just float on the crowds. I mean, yeah, we are approaching two years of clap crowds, but, I mean, they are excited to see their hometown guys, even Hulk. And, you know, Hulk put on some extra sauce this weekend, and I really enjoyed that as well. Uh, the 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 later half of 2021 or i guess the latter half rather as i attempt to speak proper english the latter half run of bb hulk this year has been a delightful surprise i, I did not anticipate really really fun i thought great you thought very good dreamgate challenge at any point in this calendar year i did not think that was going to be something that we would see from hulk and lately a number of really fun matches which continued into the final night where hulk you know, kind of played the main character of this show and was awesome in that role. Yeah, yeah, and it's something that really, like, for R.E.D. and for, like, I've, I just assume Hulk's kind of going to be in this role until, we, until like, he has, like, his final st stretch of his career. This is perfectly fine, B.B. Hulk. If he's not going to be doing, like, tag matches and we can just kind of wash Hulk and Kai out of our system in a way, I, I think this works for him. I, I think this is pretty solid stuff. Uh, should say, after the main event, we did have a Triangle Gate challenge for the next night. It was KZ, Susumu, and UT making sure that KZ gets the big main event on night three. So we ended up having a title match on this weekend. Moving on to Sunday. This will be up on the network until the 12th. Just running through results real quick. Yamato, Kakatora, and Fujiwara versus Hulk, Kai, and Diamante. Kai got the direct fall on Yamato. I, I guess let's just talk about this here. Uh, we now know that that's the final gate man event after this weekend. Uh, he did do a challenge saying, I want to face you at final gate. Uh, Yamato kind of begged off by saying, we're in Sapporo. Why are you challenging for Fukuoka? But, you know, the strength of his direct falls he's had, we now have that match going on at final gate. We'll see how they kind of build momentum for this case, man. But, uh, Kai's looking strong going into that title match, and we know the two have chemistry. It's just kind of prolonging this feud for further on. Yeah, no, it's uh, in a world of main events, that is one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, match two, the Dragons, Ultimo and Problem Dragon versus Susumu and Ginky. Susumu defeated Problem Dragon, not looking strong going into his Brave Gate match with the Yokosuka Cutter. Uh, match three, Hashi Brothers versus Doi and Strong Machine J. 
Doi won with a camel clutch on Ishanahashi. Bonus match, BB Hulk wanted better competition. He, he is his homecoming week, damn it. So Ryo Saito had to go book him some challenges. So Ryo Saito just started beckoning people to come out to face Hulk. The first one was Takumi Hayakawa. A Hulk won in a minute 53 at the EVO. More people came out. Hulk decided I'm good and went to the back. Semi-main event, high-end. Dragon Kid, Okuda, and Benkei defeated uh, Masquerade. This time, the misfire was directly shown onto Minonora, leading into the spear for the win. And then in the Open the Triangle Gate Championship match, the champions, uh, Eita, Ishida, and Hyo, make their second defense as Hyo penned KZ clean with a crucifix fold in 1626. And uh, let's just talk about that Triangle Gate match. I, I was kind of surprised that they penned yeah, uh, Casey clean in his hometown. I, I knew Natural Vibes wasn't going to win this match just for the sheer notion of anything of it would ruin the sanctity of UT versus SP Kento in Nagoya on the 19th, which is not confirmed, but that seems to be the direction that they're headed. And it, it didn't seem like just a week after losing the Twin Gate belt that Shimizu was going to pick up more gold. So I, I wasn't necessarily surprised by the result. I think it would have been more shocking had Eita or Ashida pin KZ. Given that it was Hyo, it's this weird Teflon thing. I don't think it hurts KZ at all. I think it only establishes Hyo as a more dangerous threat. Whether people want to take him seriously or not is another story. But a, a clean pin over KZ is a clean pin over KZ. That certainly has some cachet in 2021. Yeah, yeah, and it's, I mean, Casey's kind of Teflon at this point. It's just kind of like, wow, that was the finish you, you did there. I thought the match was solid, though. I thought it was a do, fun— do, do we think Casey is Teflon? Do Are, are we worried about him at all? I, I know I, I kind of gave you a brief temperature check on this last week with Casey, but you go through this weekend. It's his hometown. He headlines the first show, and it's on the losing side of that. Yamato pins Geeky Horaguchi. On the second show, he gets the win over Jason Lee. And then on the third show, he takes the fall in the main event title match. You know, it seemed like KZ was very much over in front of this crowd. This show drew 437 people. This final show did. But, you know, I'll ask you the same question I asked you last week. Where, where are you at with KZ? I really haven't changed, to be quite honest. <laughs> no, you didn't have a revelation in the one week since I talked to you about this? No, no, I just, it, it's something that I think he's at this place. I don't think he's going to be cycled down from this place. I don't assume, and I, it doesn't seem like that there is a huge loss of interest in him, at least natively. It just is something that he's just going to kind of do this. And he's probably the one person that, like, we're talking about Shun going heel starting the show. Casey's probably the person that needs that heel turn more just because he needs like that thing to get him over that hump. And until that happens, I just kind of, unless I see like the crowds just like stop caring about natural vibes and stop caring about KZ, which I don't think will happen. I just think he's kind of treading water. I feel like that, whereas some people are making a step forward and we see some evolutions with them. We don't necessarily see that with KZ. For reference, the third King of Gate show in Hokkaido this year, because they ran that triple shot in May uh, in the same building as well. The third show was headlined by Skywalker versus Akuda and KZ versus Eita. 
that show drew 339 fans. And as I said, for this Triangle Gate match on the Dragon Gate website, they list 437 people in attendance. So clearly some interest in this match. Good booking by Saito on the fly here to give KZ a main event. General Manager Rio Saito is doing a great job, Case. <laughs> You're much more bullish on Saito than I am, but I, I like that he's trying hard. Hey, hey, eventually, I, I mean, he did kind of book the way into that a dragon lost his mask last week. So not a good look there, but I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he went back to the board. Ooh, my bad guys kind of thought dragon die. I had this one in the bag. <laughs> kind of thought we would just clear up that inferno Yoshioka thing right there. Or someone would get Diamante's mask, but Oh, you know, it's, it's the craziest thing in pro wrestling. You know, sometimes the guy that we thought was going to win doesn't win. My <laughs> bad. And you know what? And the thing is, we're going to learn from this. This was a learning moment. <laughs> you, you know what? They called him in. He uh, promised that he will do better, and he, and he apologized, and he'll do better with his actions. His way of doing better with his actions is basically commanding all the rookies to take out people who want more matches. I do love him summoning rookies uh, seemingly with a snap of a fingers to get rid of people running interference on these matches. Just seeing six guys in track suits remove RED from ringside is an incredible visual. See, he's doing great. He's just doing a great job. <laughs> we're, we're, we're just going to gloss over, you know, the, 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 the match that like he booked that, that really like he, he could have just had it be Inferno versus Daya and all along, you know, like, uh, hey, uh, we're moving onward and upwards with General Manager Rio Saito, who's doing a great job. He's doing fine. Okay, okay. Uh, I just, look, I just, Rio Saito seems like the kind of guy that's going to ride a scooter in the Drangate office, and I... Yes. Look, I, I, I like to think I'm a pretty... Well, I, actually, I'm not a fun guy. I know for a fact having fun is one of my biggest weaknesses, but I just know that I couldn't tolerate Rio Saito running my office. It just... I oh. wouldn't be able to do it. I'm a nose-to-the-grindstone kind of guy, and Rio Saito is constantly on some bullshit. Oh, I'm someone that I'm self-motivated. Like, it, the, the worst thing that a manager or a boss can do with me is Hector me. Be like, hey, how's it going on this? How's it going on this? I'll take care of it. You don't need to go, like, to do, like, temperature checks with me. And I could tell that Rio Saito would just be, like, knocking on the door and going, like, hey, Micah, how's that project going? And, I, and I'll just be seething going, it's going, fine. <laughs> going great, boss. Going great. So, yeah, no. Uh, well, we'll see how that all plays out for Rio Saito, but at least, I, so, so you think he's doing fine. I think he's doing a great job. So I think we average that into that he's doing good. He's doing good. I just, I don't have it within me to give him a compliment. He could be booking 2006 Ring of Honor right now, and I would still go, he's fine. I, you know, don't get too excited about it. He's still got some room to improve. <laughs> I, I, I want to make sure I never have to have like a progress report done by you. Yeah. <laughs> look i i am a miserable human in the workplace i am no fun to work with and i'm very much aware of that you, you know what was not miserable though case what my match of the weekend was take a guess i i hope i hope it's the opening match on this show because if it is we're gonna have to do a virtual high five because i i'm sitting here thinking about how much i loved the opening match on this show i'd like the opening match but my match oh. of the week my match of the Go weekend. Go ahead. Okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I'm I'm shocked by that result. You you took me back like I was a civilian casualty there. Please tell me your match of the weekend. Oh, it was a little number that was the Hashi Brothers versus Doi and Strong Machine J. I adored this match, case. 
I thought that this was fantastic. You have the floor, Mike Spears, because I liked this, but if this is your match the weekend, then you saw something in this that I did not. Well, I, I think we've seen uh, how the, as we talked about today, a Strong Machine J works really well with the future kids. And he's already shown before that him and the Ahashi brothers, like they don't like each other. They're both second generation wrestlers. Maybe Strong Machine J is jealous that he's not a thoroughbred. Maybe he's like, hey, I was here first. And now these two goose, like coming out here being mama's and daddy's boys, just kind of irk him the, the wrong way. He worked so him and Ishin, like that is like some roughhouse fun there. Like the two of them in this match. And then you have Naruki Doi, who when he's been doing these matches with the Ahashi brothers, he just gets it. Like the guy might be one of the smartest in ring wrestlers working today. And for 12 minutes, like the way that he like he built the uh Doi, built the finish, like doing the crab on Ishin Ahashi, and right before he grabbed the ropes, he's dragged him in the middle, got on his back, craned back his chin got the Cobra Clutch, and got the one. I just adored it. I thought that this was really cool. Like This is a match that like we've talked about wanting the tag league back just for the Ahashi brothers. I would want to see Doi and Strong Machine J as a tag team there. Like I know that Doi's right now humoring Cyber Kong right now, but my, my, my idea when we did our unit shakeup, these four guys are, feature strongly in my one of my units, and I think there's something there with them. That's very interesting because... If it's not for the night two main event, I think the opener of night three would be my match of the weekend on the sheer notion that I thought Fujiwara was so great in this environment, bouncing off of the RED guys. In particular, Diamante might have struck gold with a second opponent. We've seen what he could do for La Estrella, but watching that match and seeing Diamante and Takuma Fujiwara wrestle one another was eye-opening in the sense of, oh my God, you know, Maybe it's not just a thing with Diamante where he's he's helped La Estrella's career. Maybe he's just uh, much better than we even give him credit for. And most of this podcast this year has been singing the praises of Diamante because there was just not reinventing the wheel. There was just such classic underdog stuff with Fujiwara in the underdog position and Diamante being more dominant with him that was just great to see. It was just really, really fun to watch. I ended up going three and three quarters on this opener. So once again, a very good weekend for BB Hulk. Diamante crushes it as always. For as hard as I am on high end, I thought most of their matches were very fun this weekend. And Fujiwara really left an impression on me. I'm really excited to see what is next for him to see if he can continue to build on this or not, because I really liked his work on these shows. So... I, I think this might be a fun exercise right now to do. Like most of our exercises, we'll probably forget about this in a few weeks. How would you place your, and we don't have to do like one through six, but who are you hot on in the futures class and who might be the, the people that you want to see kind of, you, you want to see them develop more before you really kind of have a strong opinion on them. Like, like well, let's do a heat check on these guys now that just as we move into the last few weeks of the year. I would say at this point, I know I need to see more of Sato, and he was very impressive here. If you haven't seen it, it's on the network now, his debut against Ben K. I thought it was a very efficient debut, and not only that, it's actually, it's a match to watch just because I thought the atmosphere was really cool in that building. It seemed to be a pretty big house and a hot crowd specifically for Sato, which was nice to see. 
Hayakawa was a guy who, although I love him being murdered by BB Hulk, I I want to I, I it's it's I, I have mixed feelings on Hayakawa because I want to see him in that role, but I also want to see what else he's capable of. I want to see if there's any sort of dominant streak that he has in him, or if he is just going to be eating shit on a regular basis for the next year, which is fine. But I, I'm I, you know I, I'm going to continue to be a bit of a critic on Hayakawa. Just because I, I'm not sure with that size and that frame that I can rely on him to be a star yet. I am incredibly high on Ricky Hashi, more so than Ishin Hashi. I know we don't see eye to eye there. You're more of an Ishin guy. For me, Ricky is the guy where it's like, oh my God, I just, I look at that charisma and the way he emotes and the way he sells. And I think, wow, holy shit, if you want a match for once in his life, he would become a guy that would be incredibly over at an incredibly quick rate. And although I was very cold on him, this kind of leaves two guys. This leaves Fujiwara and Fuda. And coming out of this weekend, I would rank Fuda one, Fujiwara two, in terms of guys I am most excited about their futures. All right. So we we differ here, but I think that that makes interesting conversation. Uh, I think Sato has something. And I think it's something that they're going to pull the trigger on a lot sooner than the others, given his age. I I thought that his debut against Benke probably was the most complete debut outside of the Ahashis at Dangerous Gate. But the, you could tell that they've really set up these matches so that these guys really prosper. But like he's already like showing stuff like that. I, I feel like with like Fujiwara, I still think he is a blank canvas and it's gonna be really fun to watch him develop given his age and his size. Like he looks like a guy that like if if he put a, if he put in like the time in the gym, hung out with Kodama and Nora, he could look like an absolute tank and it'll be fun that, to see. That that's develop. what I'm so intrigued about by Fujiwara, is that I don't even feel like we have his body like his body's not developed yet. He no. re- I mean he looks like a child. And it, 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 He's that lanky. is what I'm really the more I think about it and how good he was this weekend. I'm really, really excited about what he could be. And I, I, I am a fan of his story. The fact that he went to the Michinoku pro dojo for his career day in middle school. Like I mentioned last week, there's a lot to get excited about when it comes to Fujiwara. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, if I'm going to be talking five years down the line, Fujiwara is the one I put my bet on. But for now, I think it's going to be fun to see him develop at this point. Uh, Sato is just someone that I think there's something fair with him. I did pull up the attendance for that Yamagata debut. It also was a Ginky. It was not Ginky Horikuchi. It also was a Rio Saito homecoming. So they did two and one here. But 520 people there. So like the ambiance there was real. Like that was a bigger show for them, especially right now. I I like Ishin. And I like uh, Fuda a little bit more than Riki Ahashi. I think Fuda, though, he could go some places with him just kind of being a problem and him being just like an ass kicker. But I want to see that flesh out in him right now. And the fact that he's 20, there's time for that a whole lot. I, I, I think that he has something, but it's something that I don't know what it'll develop into. Whereas with Fujiwara, I'm like, okay, this kid's a blank canvas. He can put on a whole lot of muscle and just start throwing people around, or he could just become a very likable, compelling baby face. Like there's a, there's a lot of directions there with Fuda. I feel like it's more focused, but I need to see other aspects of it to kind of, if, if he's cribbing and he's kind of like being modeled with like Mochizuki, 
Mochizuki also has the aspect of like you watch Mochizuki once, you're like that dude just kicks so hard that rules. You watch him more and you get deeper appreciation. Like this guy has a different way he puts together matches. This is the guy that will work over someone's stomach as like a focus of the match. And I feel like that, like with Fuda, we kind of need that extra layer there. Ishan, I just think that he can end up being the bull in the china shop. I think that, that, that as soon as he wants to kind of just become like a big beefy boy and throw people around, it'll be really, really kind of cool. Ricky, like, I know you're super high on Ricky. I know you think he has the top of the line kind of potential there. I think he's solid. Maybe it's, this is a me thing and the charisma doesn't necessarily work for me at this point. Maybe that that's on me. That, that's so. fascinating because it it was such an instant connection, even going back to his future exhibition matches where I just, it, it was an instant thing with me where I understood exactly who this guy is and what I want from him. And he's delivered on that so far. Yeah. And, and, I, and I would say like, that's probably on me there and, and I'll own up to that. And maybe it's something that like when I like look, watch the matches, I'm more pulled towards Ishan. And maybe that is that Ishan's more my style of a wrestler. And I don't, necessarily i did not necessarily get my eyes like drawn to him my eyes in future with my eyes i thought future Wara was the most impressive one coming out of future honestly uh hayakawa man he has this role i think it's a and it's a role that works for him but it's also something that like he just like he's so small and i know that like we kind of say that and he like does these things and he works in this role here but it's just going to be so hard for him to break out of this role in my mind which is and not necessarily a bad thing you know if no. if sb kento is dragon gate's adam cole takumi hayakawa is dragon gate's spike dudley and spike dudley certainly had some career highlights i don't i don't think that's a slight on him at all oh not at all not at all i just it's just something that like i like look at it him and i'm like how are they going to, like, with him basically being squashed like a bug like this? And he's very good at that. He's very good at that. Other than, like, having him in, like, in a tag team with, like, Susumu, not Susumu, <laughs> Shimizu, or, like, becoming, like, Benkei's little buddy, you know, like, maybe he's someone that should get masked. You know, a lot a lot along the same lines of Estrella. Estrella being masked is probably a solid thing for him because now you get to have, like, the intrigue and he's able to fly around a little bit. Hayakawa might need something like that to get out of this role. That's that's a good point because Estrella is not much bigger than him, but we don't think about Estrella being this super tiny guy. Now, if you go back and you put two and two together and you watch the exhibition matches of the guy that became La Estrella and you compare him to Hayakawa, they're roughly the same size. Estrella might have two or three inches on him at the very most, but that's that's a very good point that I don't necessarily think they need to hide Hayakawa. I don't think they need to repackage him. I like what no. they brought to the table with him, but I do think it would be advantageous in the long run if uh, they drastically change his appearance, let's say. Yeah, yeah. And, and the other weird thing about it is he's 24 and he looks like this, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's... Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just like, it's not like he. you look at like Estrella and drawing the connection there Australia could grow still and it's not like Fujiwara where like oh yeah this kid is still really much a kid we'll see how he fills out like like how like Kento Kabune has really like you you could look at where he was in 2019 look at him now and it's like two years later you're like no this guy looks more like a grown wrestler versus like a teenager Haikawa 
he might need that change. That's all I'm saying. I I think you might be onto something. So, uh, did you have any other big thoughts on Sapporo before we look at Kyoto and get out of here? No, just to reemphasize because I. I, I went through the rookie list in such a confusing way. Unfortunately, that's just uh, the way I operate, and it's why my life is difficult at times, because I went through these rookies in a diagonal fashion, essentially. But just to to reemphasize my rankings right now, and just in terms of guys that I, I like their potential, I would say Fuda 1, Fujiwara 2, Riki Ihashi 3, Ishinihashi 4, Takumi Hayakawa 5, and an asterisk with Shoya Sato at six, just because I need to see more. Yeah, and I'll say for me, Sato one, uh, Fujiwara two, uh, Ishin three, uh, Riki four, uh, Fuda five, and Hayakawa six. But also with the idea of Sato, we still need to see more, but I like what I see enough to kind of bump him up. Well, the good news is we're going to be seeing Sato this weekend in Kyoto in a match that I have very high expectations for. Boy, howdy. We have a fun card coming up this weekend. On the 11th, it is they return to Kyoto. In case, you know what they say about Kyoto KBS Hall? What's that, Mike? Anything can happen in Kyoto. Hmm. So, uh, I'm looking at the poster now. Uh, the Hashi brothers are front and center in this poster. They, they get like a nice like featured kind of thing here. They haven't changed around the poster enough, so you still have uh, uh, Yoshioka as Inferno on this thing, but and Daya Mass. But it just like you have like the the nice like also featuring part of this, and you get to have the Hashi brothers there. Uh, it is on the 11th. It is at six o'clock of local time. That is 4 a.m. on the East Coast. That is 9 Greenwich Mean Time. Thank, thank you, Dragon Gate Ian, for putting the time zones there so I don't make myself like an idiot. Uh, j- j- just running this all down, uh, we have Masquerade, Jason Lee and La Estrella versus High End, KZ and UT, six-man tag, Ultimo, Binke, and Akuda versus Don Fuji, Kinki Horiguchi, and Takuma Fujiwara. Match three, uh, we have Natural Vibes of Susumu, Shimizu, and Jackie Funky Kame. That's a fun trio right there. Against the aforementioned Shoya Sato, Ryu Fuda, and Takumi Hayakawa. Match four, we have New Era Doi Yoshi versus SB Kento and Hio. Match five, Shun Skywalker and Kota Minora versus Eita and Diamante. Main event, high end, it is Yamato, Dragon Kid, and Kagatora versus BB Hulk, Kai and Kaito Ishida. So I actually, there's stuff I like in each one of these matches here. I think that this is a pretty compelling and interesting final Kyoto show of the year, Case. I know high end was really enjoyable in Hokkaido, but let me just say that main event does nothing for me. That main event sticks out like a sore thumb because I think everything else looks really good. I, I am excited for this show because, you know, I think we're going to get a really hot opener with Leon Estrella versus Casey and Yuchi, that's a really fun match. I I like match two with Ultimo and uh, Binsuke against Fuji Horiguchi and Fujiwara. Natural Vibes versus the Rookies is inject into my veins level of excitement. Even Doyoshi versus SB Kento and Hio, that's a really fun combination. I'm looking forward to SB Kento and Doi tearing it up. Skywalker Minora versus Aten Diamante, that is a fun match for a number of reasons. Even without the storyline, that would be a fun match, but with the added implications, I really like that. And, oh, just that main event. 
that that is a three star special. That is just a, a disappointing way to close out what's going to be a really fun show. I'll make the defense of the main event. Okay, so Yamato, Kai, BB Hulk. Yeah, we know what we're dealing with there. Kagatora and Ishida have great chemistry. Dragon Kid works great with all three of these guys. Yamato and Ishida, they will have some fun together. We do, we know what they'll do together. The combinations here in the main event have potential. It's just how much of the triangle of bullshit we have to put up there. Yeah, that's an interesting sell. It's not it's not going to do it for me, but I appreciate where your heart is here. I'm just like fired up after the four shows, and I want this weekend to be great, you know. And I don't have to watch Problem Dragon again. <laughs> well, I, you know, my match the weekend was night two. It was a high end versus Red match, so they certainly have chemistry within them. They're possible. They, they they have the capabilities of putting on a great match, but I I don't know that. I, there's something about that match just bums me out because I think the rest of the card looks so good. Maybe I'm off base. Maybe other people don't feel that way, but oh, that that match six is just not what I want from this promotion right now. That's fair. That's fair. And again, they have another Corkin next week. And then we then we're like full steam early final gate this year, case. It's on the twentieth. That's er or no, it's twenty-sixth. I'm sorry, my eyes are failing me. I'm old now. Is so we we're down to the final four shows of twenty twenty one. So we gotta start thinking about these awards, man. Yeah, we will we will certainly have to cover that in just a few days, or in a few weeks rather. I was looking at my top ten matches of Dragon Gate this year. And I made a very interesting observation about them, something that I'll be more than happy to share in just a few weeks. So stay tuned for that. I am looking forward to that. I also, as I'm looking at the Twitter before we just one last note before we get out of here, we are getting some Riku Dragon and, and Fukuoka at, at Final Gate. Uh, Ultra Soki and Tarami Saver will be appearing there. And I know Tarami Saver is someone that I shouldn't know, but I'm looking at these two guys and, you know, the Dawn of Okinawa did it again. The Don of Okinawa has done it again, and I'm stoked for that as I well. I hope these guys come out uh, lock, stock, and barrel, and I hope all the Riku Dragon guys do the Gracie train on their way to the ring. <laughs> I hope it's uh, an Okinawa-led Gracie train, and all of their homies show up to this show. I mean, you'll you'll get all of them. You, you'll have uh, Shuri Joe coming out leading uh, leading them. You'll you'll have uh, Gurken Mask, uh, Hibiscus Me in there for it. I mean. Uh, that would honestly that'd be such an Bingo. incredible visual. A Garukin mask led Gracie train where it's just a bunch of junior <laughs> heavyweight Japanese masked wrestlers. Oh my god. The I look, I'm not saying I can book your territory, but if you gave me the pencil and you gave me Garukin mask, the possibilities are endless. I mean, I I you can give I can book your territory and it is gonna have a lot of Garukin mask. <laughs> All right, dude, anything you want to hit on before we get out of here? I've got nothing else. All right, thanks for listening to Open the Voice Gate. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. Case is at underscore in your case. Fujiheya. That's it for this week. We'll be back with you next time talking about the final Kyoto show in 2021 and probably a Korkin preview. Take care, everyone.